I bring you greetings this morning from your Texas Baptist family. You're a part of a network of 5,300 churches across Texas, and you partner together with those other churches to fulfill God's purpose, to perpetuate his kingdom, to do the things that your mission statement says, to send the glory of God, to make him known among the nations, not just here, but not far from here and a long ways from here into the ends of the earth. Thank you for that. Along with those other churches, you participate in what we call the cooperative program. Your church budget includes a portion that goes to make that connection happen, to let those networks grow. Through the cooperative program and your gifts, your generosity, and the generosity of other churches like yours, you have ministry on 130 college campuses in Texas. And there are more that we need to put folks on as soon as we can. You start more new churches than any other state convention right here in Texas. You start more new churches actually than all the other state conventions combined. And that's a good thing. As Texas continues to grow and change and to become more and more diverse, new and different kinds of churches are constantly needed. And you're a part of finding those church planters and sending them out and equipping them and supporting them. God bless you for that. You're making a difference. You've been in the part of a, of a long series of messages and, and re-engaging is such a critical issue in every church across Texas these days. But as you've considered the topics already this month, you've looked at why should I engage the church? Obviously you have or you wouldn't be here today, right? You've looked at why should I join the church? Why should I serve the church? And now I have the privilege of sharing with you what God's word says about why should I give to the church? There's probably a reason that one didn't come first, don't you think? It's my privilege and honor to do that. I am the president of the Texas Baptist Missions Foundation, as Pastor Hooley has already said. And in that role, we help people, individuals in God's churches throughout Texas, connect God's mission with their legacy. How will you be known? What will your legacy be? Will it smack of God's mission or will it feature something else, something lesser, something not nearly as important and consequential? A passage of scripture I want to share with you as we start this morning. It's 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. 1 John 2, 17. The old man of the church, John, was writing to the churches that he had served, the network of churches that he cared for, and to individuals who wanted their legacy to be God's mission as well. And he writes these words in this one simple verse. The world and its desires pass away. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. The world, for God so loved the world, right? Because the world is passing away, because everything that we can see and feel and touch and everyone, we're all in the process of passing away, literally and figuratively. And as the world continues to spin off of its axis, it's hell bound, isn't it? That's the direction it's going. And our faith in Christ is so cross-cultural. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. The world and its desires, everything we chase after, everything we set our hearts on, it's not gonna last. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. had a young man who came to the church I was serving for the very first time. 
And I learned in conversation with him before the worship service began that uh, he was prompted to come. His father was a pastor and he had drifted so far from that. In college, he began promoting concerts and that was his livelihood now. And in his mid twenties, he was a very successful concert promoter across the United States. And there's not much in that that tends to lead somebody toward a closer walk with the Lord, okay? And he didn't mind that at all. That's where he wanted to be, except that the night before, when I asked him what prompted him to show up at that church that morning, smelling like smoke and a little bit like liquor at 9.30 in the morning, he said, well, I was sitting on the bar stool listening to country music, which I despise, realizing that my girlfriend had left me and my business was struggling and wondering, maybe, maybe I need to try church again. And so he began to engage with the church by simply showing up that Sunday morning and as the Lord would have it, he happened to talk to me. We talked for a while. I learned about a lot of the things he'd been through and the struggles that he'd had and the estrangement from his parents because of their love for him and love for the Lord. And he really wasn't too sure he wanted either one of those. And then I said, well, it's about time for the service to start. Can I show you where the sanctuary is? He said, yeah. So we walked together and when we got to the door, he said, where would you like to sit? I said, well, I kind of have to sit up there. He said, you're a, you're a minister? And I said, yeah. He said, if I'd known that, I would have never talked to you. I get that a lot, you know. Afterwards, he came and he said, I gotta get right. He said, can we talk this week? So we set up Wednesday night after a Bible study that I was leading. He'd come to the Bible study and then we talked and it was about two hours. And the first time we talked two hours about how do you know that the Bible is really God's word? You know, a very simple thing you can resolve in a couple hours. The next time we met, and it was every week for quite a while. The next time we met, he said, hey, before we start, I want you to know that I, I quit doing cocaine this week. I thought, well, that's not a bad thing. Good, good idea. And he said, yeah, after we were together last time, I, I asked Jesus to come into my heart. I, I gave him my life. And, and that just really wasn't what I was interested in anymore. I said, well, good for you. I'm thinking my wife's gonna kill me if she thought I brought somebody that was using into our house and, you know. So she probably still doesn't know. <laughs> the next week we came in after another conversation. He said, you know, I, I, there's really not much reason for me to go to bars anymore. The people there aren't helping me get to know the Lord any better. And, and you know, when I'm drinking, I don't really feel like I'm supposed to be, well, it just it doesn't work anymore. So I, I don't even have a desire for that now. I said, well, great. Well, the next week he quit smoking. And every one of those things, in my understanding, is very difficult to quit on your own. But the Lord seemed to be changing his desires. The next Wednesday when we gathered to meet, sat down at the table, I said, well, Greg, what's on your mind today? He said, I'm so mad at my dad. I said, well, okay, wasn't looking for that one. I said, what happened? He said, well, I called him last Sunday afternoon because I was so excited. I was at church and I called him and I said, hey, dad, I know you'll like this. I put $20 in the offering plate today. And my dad said, was it a tithe, son? And he said, a what? He said, was it 10% of what you earned last week? He said, what's that got to do with it? He said, well, what God asked us to do is to honor him by giving him the first part of everything that we earn. A, a tenth of that is called a tithe. And you made more than $200 last week, right? He said, I just hung up. He said, I've just been mad about it ever since. And I, tell me about that. 
I said, well, Greg, uh, are, are you going to let God be a part of your financial life or not? When we finished up that evening, he said, I don't know what I'm going to do. He said, I, I gave Jesus my whole life and now he wants my money too. The world and its desires are passing away. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. What's the will of God? This world is passing away for God so loved the world that he gave, he gave. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish with this world that's passing away but would have everlasting life. Hmm. God's word is amazingly consistent, isn't it? Greg's words continue to haunt me. I gave Jesus my whole life and now he wants my money too? That may be as good an answer to the question, why should I give to the church, as anything I could come up with. <laughs> Earlier today, you recited a portion of what we call the model prayer. In the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told his disciples, when you pray, do it like this. When you connect with God, do it like this. Our Father, our Father. Some of the most radical words I think Jesus ever spoke. He could have said, the Father, like the Jews prayed, he could have said, my father, and as God's one and only son, he had every right to do that. But instead, he included everyone who would follow him. Our father, our father, welcome to the family. Our father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. So what is the will of God? Whether it relates to our substance use or disuse or lack of use, whether it relates to our schedule or even if it relates to our money, God's will. God's will is his way to provide for his family. This is what God wants. You see, God's will is just quite simply what he wants, what he invites us to join him in, what his desire is for us individually and as a congregation, as his people. God's will is very simply what he wants. And what does God want? He wants to provide for his family, just as any father would. He wants to provide for his family, those of us who know him as Savior and Lord, his church. God wants to pass on his blessings to us and through us to others. God wants to perpetuate his purpose for the future, his kingdom come. We hear about God's kingdom, we thought, well, we have a president, we don't need any of that, right? God's kingdom is not a geopolitical entity. It's not a, a different colored place on the map and it's not a place that's divided by rivers or lakes or oceans. God's kingdom is every place Jesus is Lord. It doesn't get any simpler than that. God's kingdom is every place Jesus is Lord. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For God so loved the world, it's passing away that he gave his one and only son. Do you see how it all fits together? God's will is his way to accomplish his purpose. He wants to bless his church. He wants to provide for his family. He wants to pass on his blessings, not only to us, but through us. He wants to make his kingdom come. And that's what you do when you give to your church. 
This world is passing away, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. You've heard it said many times, you can't take it with you. Never seen a trailer behind a hearse. (laughs) You can't take it with you, but I can tell you that you can send it on ahead. (laughs) That every gift you make to God's work has eternal significance. And the dollars that you make available to God's kingdom purpose, in whatever way you do that, is something that has an eternal consequence. Talk about a return on investment. What's the timeline on that? Well, forever. Think that'll be long enough? The one who does the will of God lasts forever, lives forever. How about a little sentence completion exercise? Where there's a will, there's a way, yeah. Where there's a will, there's a way. Where there is God's will, that's what he wants. When God desires that, that's his way. I have a friend named Gary Cook, who's the former president of Dallas Baptist University, now serves as chancellor. And a big portion of Gary's work and the way that God has used him is in raising funds for scholarships and everything else the university needs. He phrases that a little bit differently. Instead of saying, where there's a will, there's a way, Dr. Cook says, where there's a will, get in it. Hmm, I see what he means by that. What does it take to get in a will? Think with me about the last movie you saw where people gather in an attorney's office and some are sitting and some are standing and they're all kind of glancing at one another nervously and nodding and you're not quite sure what's going on and the attorney who sits at his huge mahogany desk with the perfectly aligned books on the shelves behind him, clears his throat, puts his glasses down on the tip of his nose and opens the desk drawer and pulls it out and begins to read the last will and testament of the dearly beloved. And they're all there to hear the contents of the will. Will I be in it, is what they're thinking. Will they be in it, is what some are thinking. Will there be anything to share, is what some are thinking. A lot of tension, and it only starts more tension in most of the shows that you watch with that. It's a perfect analogy. The one who does the will of God lives forever. Your kingdom come, your will be done. God's will is what God wants. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus knelt and prayed. And over the sound of the disciples snoring all around him, he said, Father, not what I want, but what you want. Not my will, but your will be done. A will is a good analogy, a good way of thinking about what God really wants. That kind of will that people use, that legal instrument. It requires five different things to be an effective will, a will that actually works and that accomplishes its purpose. In the first place, it requires a relationship. If you're in that room and the attorney's reading the will and you've never met the deceased, then you're probably not gonna be in the will, okay? But if you have, in fact, if you were smart enough to get born into the deceased family, then you really have a shot, right? Hmm. Inheritance is how you earn your money the old-fashioned way. You inherit it, right? A relationship's important. It's required for you to be included in someone's will. It's also necessary that there are resources to be passed on. If, If there's no money, if there's no property, if there's nothing to be dispersed, then there's really no sense in reading the will together. 
It's a futile exercise. It also requires a legal document, a written record of that will that states exactly what the person who's passed away is asking to be done. It requires, uh, sadly enough, a death. For a, for a will to go into effect, somebody's got to die. And we're not trying to pick anybody out today, okay? But so feel better about that. And the final thing, besides a relationship and resources to be transferred and a written record and a death, is an executor. Now, that's not the same thing as an executioner, okay? That's not the grim reaper. The executor is the person that the will names who's responsible for making sure that the stipulations of the will are carried out. They're the ones who help you understand what the will says and, and what the person who's died wants you to do with all the resources and how they're to be distributed. Does that make sense? They're named in the will and that's got to be there. It's a, a necessary part of it. Well, I got good news for you. This world and all of its desires are passing away, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Jesus invited you and me to pray our Father, may your will be done in my life, here on earth, even as it is in heaven. Hmm. So here's the good news. What God wants is for you to be in his will. He wants you to have a relationship with him. When John describes the coming of Jesus, his Lord, he says, he came to his own, but his own didn't receive him. But to as many that as received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Born not of the will of man, but by the will of God. In Romans chapter eight, Paul writes that those who are led by the spirit of God are the sons and daughters of God. And as such, we are the heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We're in his will. So before we go any further at all, there is nothing more important that you'll hear today or next week than God wants you to be in a relationship with him. He wants you to be his son and daughter. And that simply comes through receiving Jesus Christ, whom he sent so that everyone who believes in him would have everlasting life. Are you in God's will? He wants you there. He wants you to have that kind of relationship with him. And just as my friend Greg simply prayed, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. And then things began to change. His desires were converted as he came to walk with Jesus. It wasn't always easy and it wasn't always fast, but God continued to work because now Greg was a son of God and not just a member of God's creation. I want to encourage you, I want to invite you to join into a relationship with God through simple faith in his son, Jesus Christ. God wants you in his will. He wants that relationship. God wants you to be aware of the resources that he has provided for you already. It seems strange, doesn't it, in that Lord's prayer, the model prayer, that we go from the magnificent vision of the kingdom of God coming on earth and that that's God's will. And the very next phrase is, give us this day our daily bread. Not give me bread for the month or the week, but give me a tortilla to roll up for lunch today, okay? Give me what I need today to sustain my physical presence. It seems so down to earth and close, kind of in the dust, isn't it? How does that work? 
Well, that Sermon on the Mount keeps on going back to the Old Testament law and Jesus saying, you've heard it said, now I'm telling you. And the same thing happens here. When he says daily bread for the people that were listening, they knew exactly what he was talking about. They were talking about the Exodus and the children of Israel that God had redeemed from Egyptian captivity and bondage and slavery and was taking to the land of promise, making those who had never been a people to be his people and his family. And when they got out there into the middle of the wilderness and it didn't happen real quickly that they got to the promise, they got hungry. And there wasn't nearly enough food and God said, I'll provide. Well, what are you gonna provide, God? I'm gonna provide stuff. They didn't have a word for manna. Manna just means stuff. (laughs) And it became their daily bread. You see, the manna would appear every day when they woke up, but they had to go out of the tent and get it. Stay rolled up in a sleeping bag. You don't go get it. You don't eat. Did God provide that? Yes, he did. Did they get it? Yes. The ability to get it, the ability to acquire what God had provided was a gift from God. What they found when they tried to acquire two days worth was that it went bad really fast. And what God allowed them to acquire lasted only for the day because he wanted them to be dependent upon him, to be aware of his provision day by day by day. As those days went on, they realized that Sabbath was coming and God said, there's not gonna be any on Sabbath because I don't want you busy with that stuff. I want you connecting with me and building community together with me. It's my day. Well, what are we gonna do, God? Moses says, well, here's what God said. On the day before Sabbath, you have the opportunity to acquire two days worth and it'll keep that one time. That became their weekly routine. That was their cycle. That was their awareness that the ability to acquire what they needed was a gift from God, even daily bread. And the ability to accumulate what they acquired was also a gift from God. You mean I gave Jesus my whole life and now he wants my money too? It's always been his money, folks. God created everything that there is and he's never once relinquished ownership of any of it, no matter how many times we might write our name on the sole of Woody's boot, okay? (laughs) Everything that we chisel our name into, everything that we inscribe, everything that we claim to be ours, it's always been God's, he's entrusted it to us. The ability to acquire it is a gift from him. Thank you, Lord. The ability to accumulate that is another gift from him. Thank you, Lord. So what does he want us to do with it? (laughs) He makes it available to us so that we can be his stewards to provide for his family, the church, to pass on his blessings to those who need them and to perpetuate his kingdom purpose through the rest of our lives and even beyond that. He wants you to understand that the resources he's entrusted to you, he's made you manager of all of it. And he wants to partner with you in it. He wants to be deeply involved in every aspect of your life, including your ledger, your bank book. Well, there should be a a written record of that, right? Where do we find that? Well, those of you that speak Spanish understand that God's will is also God's testament, right? God's last will and testament. This book that I hold in my hands that you have there as well is what God wants. 
That's why God wrote it. It's the record of how he's worked in people's lives to fulfill his purpose and his will. And it's his record of what he wants to continue to do to change his world, to bring those who are in his will to live forever. The death, it was Christ Jesus who died on the cross. Once and for all, the sins of all of us, my shame and your sin and our guilt, Jesus took upon himself. His cheeks had never flushed with shame like mine have, and yet they did that day on the cross because all of our guilt, our sin was heaped on him. Through his death, we have the possibility of being made whole, and forgiven and freed from guilt and sin and shame and all the penalty as well. It was Christ's death that made that possible. The writer of the book of Hebrews, when you read that again with this idea in mind, you go, oh, that changes everything. When that death happens, it's necessary to prove that you're in that will. He quotes Jesus as saying, I've come to do your will, O God. And those of us who have joined him are doing it as well. The executor, when Jesus met with his disciples that night, before they went to Gethsemane, before he would die on the cross the next day, he gathered them together and he shared with them of his impending death and they didn't want to believe it. They were going to fight to make that not happen. And Jesus said, no, it's going to happen. But the Father and I are going to be sending you another counselor just like I've been for you. He will lead you into all truth and he will explain everything that I've told you. <laughs> he will be the executor of the will. He'll be the one who illumines the words on the page of what God has for you to do when you choose to meet him in his word. Uh, take that dusty Bible and say, God, show me your will. Unfold those resources. Remind me of your death. Draw me into relationship. Show me how I can do what you've decreed your will to be. When Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, he said, for it is God who works in you both to will and to act according to his good purpose. So I have a question for you. If God has a will, and it seems pretty clear that he does, are you in it? Do you have that relationship with him? Do you recognize that all the resources that he's provided have been gifts from him and he wants you to manage them along with him in partnership? Do you recognize that his word shows you how to do that and how to live out his will? that his Holy Spirit within you as a believer guides you and shines his way and his light and makes it so clear and plain. God has a will, are you in it? Kind of prompts another question. Do you have a will? And is God in that? I'll tell you about a wonderful family a few years ago, we received a gift at the Missions Foundation for Baptist causes to fulfill God's purpose and his work. And it was quite sizable. And so we weren't quite sure why we got it or what it was supposed to be used for. And we always want to make sure that we know that so that we can be faithful in, in following through. And so we, we learned that Mr. and Mrs. Dees had both died in the same year, a couple of months apart, the previous year. And, and now this was a settlement of the estate, what the will called for. We learned that the Dees family had three children, two daughters and a son, and so we called the oldest daughter and said, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you very much, and can you help us know what we need to do with this? No, 
whatever you all need the most to fulfill God's purpose. That's what my parents would have wanted. And I said, well, is there significance to the number? And she said, oh yes, yes, definitely. It's, it's a fourth of my parents' estate. I said, oh, well, it, does that surprise you? And she said, oh no, not at all. From our earliest remembrances, my brother and sister and I were talking that every fall, our parents would sit down with us over the dinner table and about October, they would explain that they had carved out a certain amount of money as the budget for Christmas that year and that they were gonna be buying our Christmas gifts with that money and that each one of us, the three of us, would receive a fourth of that amount of money. I said, okay, and what did you think about that? She said, well, at first we thought the math didn't quite work. There are three of us and four parts and, and our parents shared with us, no, the math works perfectly. The other fourth is the Lord's. And so they gave that to their church every Christmas as a gift to Jesus. Isn't that a marvelous legacy? Isn't that a testimony and a witness? Isn't that a guide for those children and their children as well? How will you connect God's mission and your legacy? Do you have a will? Is God in it? You can change that. If you don't have a will, I know the answer to that question. God will not be mentioned. You see, the state of Texas has a very wonderful plan for your stuff after you die. It's just nothing like what you would expect or what you would want. It has to do with your children and who cares for them. You've surrendered control of that if you die without a will. It has to do with your estate and how quickly it can be settled and how much it costs to do that. And you don't like either one of those things either. You just don't know it yet. It doesn't have to be that way. Every year in the state of Texas, two out of every three people that die have no will whatsoever, none. Their families don't get to decide what happens to their estate. And it's tragic. The Missions Foundation, as we have prayed and planned and tried to develop strategy for how we can be most helpful, we recognize that this gap and it's just a travesty. And so we have contracted with a, a partner firm and, and we've, we've paid the freight, if you would say it that way, so that every Baptist in Texas can create their very own legally valid will for free. So if it sounds like a sales pitch, I'm not selling anything. I'm giving the opportunity to each and every one of you to create the will that you need <laughs> on your own terms. Well, I have to go to a lot. No, no, you don't. Well, I've got to spend a lot of money. No, no, you don't. It's going to take a lot of time. No, it really won't. It's very complicated, not necessarily. A few weeks ago, my 27-year-old son, he and his wife are expecting their first child in May. And he called and said, Dad, can you send me that link again to that will thing that y'all have set up? I said, sure, what's going on? He said, well, the hospital asked us as we were making arrangements for the baby to be born, asked us if we had a will and I need to do that. He said, have you got a few minutes? I said, well, sure. Well, we spent the next 30 minutes on the phone and he completed that whole process. Then I said, if you download it so you can print it, then it'll take you to a portal where you can find how to do your, uh, your medical power of attorney, your financial power of attorney, and all the other documents you need at end of life. And you can download those and print them as well. And because you've set it up with your email address and your password that only you have, you can go back and amend that anytime you want. 
It's a gift, folks, and we would love for you to have it simply because you need it. (laughs) Why should I give to my church? God chooses to provide for his family through the giving of his people. God chooses to pass on his blessings through the giving of his people. God chooses, he wants his kingdom to come. He wants your legacy to not just last in your lifetime, but beyond your lifetime. And I want the same thing for you as well. I would hope that you would not only enter into that relationship with God, but that you would let him bless you, that you'd let him guide you into a relationship with your possessions that not only honors him, but it's gonna be absolutely the best thing for you. God's will is where you wanna be. I'd be terrified to be anyplace else. Let's pray together. Father God, be at work in our hearts and our lives. We love you and we trust you. We've given you our lives and yet sometimes when it comes to our money, we, we hesitate. Forgive our disobedience. We open our hearts and our minds and our wallets to you. Receive all the honor and all the glory and bring the nations to yourself and may our gifts be a part of that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.